Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean, and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. little boy who who wants to play baseball and he goes in his backyard with his bat and his ball and on his way out he he declares to his mom and his dad and to all the universe I am the best batter of all time there is no batter better than I he goes out in the backyard he he tosses the baseball up in the air to take a big swing at it and he just swings as hard as he can and he misses the ball but it doesn't bother him. I mean, he's, he's undaunted and he's confident in what he believes. I am the best batter of all time. There is no batter better than I. So he takes the ball and he tosses it up again into the air, rears back and takes a massive swing at it and he misses again. But no problem. This kid knows who he is and he knows that he is the best batter of all time. So he tosses the ball up one more time, a third time, and with all of his might, he rears back and he swings and he misses the ball again. (laughs) But this time, at the top of his voice, he cries out to his mom, his dad, and all the universe that will listen, the best news ever. Not only am I the best batter of all time, I am the best pitcher of all time because I just struck out the best batter of all time. So sometimes, you know, our perspective is what changes everything. How we look at our lives and how we interpret the circumstances that we go through, well, it, it changes everything, really. It explains why some go through life and, and seem, on, on the one hand, to be undaunted by anything. I mean, just there's a steadiness of heart and a stability of mind no matter what they experience because their perspective is clear. And there are some who you know, you work with them, they may be in your family, it may be you. <laughs> we go through life sometimes constantly paranoid just all the time suspicious, angry, nervous, worried, anxious. And there are some who just 
who seem to live with this kind of perpetual, low-grade discontent with life. And most of the time, it's because the perspective is off. Sometimes it's, it's like we, we have this, this negative experience or a life-shaking experience that jilts us down to the core. And what we'll do, uh, if, if, we don't, if we're not careful, is we'll, we'll put this frame around that experience, whatever the experience was, the loss, the disappointment, the breakup, you know? And we'll put this frame around that experience and we'll hang that frame on the, like the wall of our hearts. And every time we look at it, every time we think about it, every time we remember it, all we see in that frame is that every square inch of that frame is filled with that horrible experience, that negative, disappointing moment or season. And then we convince ourselves that that is our whole life. We convince ourselves that the universe itself is out to get us not because it wasn't a painful experience, not because it didn't rock us to the core, but because in some ways our perspective about the experience is off. You know what we need in moments like that? What we need is to reframe. matters how you frame your life it does I mean you live long enough and you realize that the full the full span of our life as human beings it includes all kinds of experiences I mean happy and sad you know hopes and hurts in our life we, we have rain and sunshine we have seasons in which there are storms and days of absolute beauty that we just wish would never end. And, and our lives are actually filled with, with all of that. The trouble is, you and I have this tendency to take one experience or, or one season of experiences and we'll take a, a small frame and we'll just isolate one part of our life, like, like the storm that we went through. And, and we, we think about this experience that, that struck us to the core, and, and if we put the frame of our life around just that one experience, well, it feels like that, that our whole life is all about that one experience, and, and I get it. It can be a devastating moment, a loss, a transition. I mean, she broke up with you. Uh, he left the company. The kids left and never came home. I get it. It can be like a storm, and that can feel as if the dark cloud really has rolled in. But, but when we put a small frame around a negative experience, we forget that our lives also have these other experiences. We also have moments in which there has been beauty and, and clear skies, and moments in which God 
has given grace upon grace and we, and we did not deserve it, but we did not recognize it. And then before we know it, we look up and inside the small frame, every square inch of the frame is filled with that pain. And, and when every square inch of our frame is filled with pain, it gives us the illusion that all of life is just tilted against us. There's this, there's this uh, passage in Proverbs, this Proverbs 4, 23, and it reads this way. Be careful what you think because your thoughts can run your life. <laughs> Have you ever been so vexed, tormented by thoughts that run wild in your head and they wake you up at 3 a.m. and they will not get outside of your consciousness and you are constantly replaying them again and again. That's what it means to have your thoughts run your life. Or there's another proverb, Proverbs 23, verse 7, and it reads this way, especially in the old King James, it reads this way, for as a man thinketh, so he is. Have you ever met anybody who, who was so fixated upon the storm that they had gone through or, or so concentrated on the season of darkness and despair and pain that they actually became the pain? For as a man thinketh, so he is. The thing that I know for certain is that when we when we don't deal with our pain and we don't attempt to reframe our experiences in the larger frame of the full sweep of our lives, here's what happens. We focus on our hurt and what we know to be certain is that hurting people hurt people. It's true. And, and we just live this life as if we are defined by one season or the next, and we forget that the fact is this. Our lives are filled with both storm and beauty. Those are the facts, and you can't change the fact, but you can change the frame. pitcher, Tug McGraw. He was asked one day, how do you deal with the, these high pressure moments on the mound? And he gave a great answer. He said, well, it's easy. It's, it's what I call the frozen snowball theory. So the frozen th snowball theory is, is simply this. He said, imagine it's the bottom of the ninth inning and, and the bases are loaded and they, they call me out to pitch. And, and then up at bat is, is the great Willie Stargell, a slugger who with one pitch could send the baseball into the upper decks, right? He said, I just think to myself in that moment when I'm standing on the mound that about 40 billion years from now, the earth will be this frozen snowball hurling through space and no one will care what Tug McGraw did on the night he faced Willie Stargell with the bases loaded. 
I mean, that, I guess that puts it in perspective, doesn't it, right? I mean, truly, 40 billion years from now, we'll be an icy rock, a snowball, frozen, hurtling through space. And the light temporary challenges that you and I face from day to day, well, it won't so much matter that the report got turned in late or the project didn't turn out the way we had hoped, right? It, in Scripture, we're reminded that, that a day uh, to the Lord is like a thousand years. And, and a thousand years is, is like a day. <laughs> so in many ways, it helps from time to time to keep things in perspective by looking at the big picture. Every once in a while, you've got you to gotta look up and remember where this whole thing is going. Yeah. When I was in Tennessee, I used to, I used to have this big backyard. We had about like, like two and a half, three acres, and I had to mow it. And, and typically what we did was I borrowed my, my father-in-law's tractor and we, we bush hogged it, which means you just you let it grow up three or four feet and then you just knock it down with this bush hog. Well, in time, I wanted the backyard to look better than that. So we borrowed a finishing mower, which is this lawnmower that you pull behind the tractor. So you strike up the John Deere and, and you head out and you, you, you mow uh, this, entire, this entire yard. But something I learned early on the hard way is you can't pay too much attention to what's happening right in front of you because uh, kind of a novice uh, to, to work in a tractor, I was paying attention to make sure that the wheels were in alignment with the line that I had just cut, making sure I wasn't running over any snakes or rabbits. And, but I'd get to the end of this long row, and i turn around and, and see that my lines looked like spaghetti. They were all over the place. And I learned that if you did it right, every once in a while, you got to look up and fix your focus on a point on the horizon so you know where you're going. Scripture reminds us not only of where we've been, but where we're going. In fact, what I like to say and have been saying lately has been that the, the whole sweep of Scripture from the beginning to the very end, or from cover to cover, or, or the way we used to say it, from Genesis to maps, you know, tells this one overarching meta-narrative, this, this story that we began very good. Out of God's love and holiness and perfection, God desired to create existence itself, and it was good. And at the end of Scripture, we see that the whole thing is going to a place where we end back with God, and all is well, and it's holy and beautiful and good once more. And the journey in between tells of this pattern that repeats again and again, this pattern of faith where there is life and then there is death and then there is life again. And we call it the Paschal mystery. It's what we see in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, that in Jesus, he demonstrated what, what all humankind is capable of experiencing, death and resurrection. And so if you and I are, are to have any hope of reframing our lives so that we don't put small frames around just our pain and live lives of desperation, 
if we are to reframe our lives, what we have to do is rehearse this story that is unfolding in us and around us even as we speak. We're called to rehearse the story of our faith. And we rehearse this story, this cosmic story of God's goodness and redemption, the salvation story of humankind. We rehearse it, not just by telling it to one another, but we we rehearse it by our behaviors and our practices. So when we come to worship and we hear old hymns and sacred songs, when we read stories of old and we hear sermons and we study the scriptures, we're rehearsing the good news that this whole thing is going somewhere. But when I say that it's time for us to rehearse the story of redemption, I don't just mean on a cosmic scale. Like I don't simply mean that the whole sweep of Scripture tells this big meta-narrative, this arc that tells us about where we're going. I, I mean we rehearse your story and, and my story. Because you live long enough and you begin to have a set of experiences that if we are awake to them, tell us something. So when we first moved here a little over eight years now, we're now in our ninth year here, if you can believe it. We, we moved here a little over eight years ago, and shortly after our move, we realized that one of our sons, Jackson, was have a, having a hard time with the adjustment. It was not an easy move. See, when we lived in Orlando, I mean, he went through kindergarten all the way through fourth grade, and you know what you do in elementary school. Early on, you begin to learn who does what and who is who. Well, that's, that's the girl who plays that sport. And, and here's the boy who's on safety patrol, and this is the person who sings at the Christmas play. And, you know, well, Jackson thought that he had, you know, become the king of the campus, right? And he had made a name for his little fourth grade self. And we moved to this place where... Lo and behold, no one knew who he was. We moved to an elementary school where, can you believe it, other boys his age kind of thought they ran the show. And he's depressed and he's having a hard time. And we noticed one night at dinner, he's really struggling. And I said, buddy, what is wrong? I mean, you've been, you've been kind of down for a little while. You're kind of moody. What's going on? What's in your head? And he said, I just feel like nobody here gets me. I feel like they don't understand me and they don't respect who I am. (laughs) And I said, well, listen, I think it's temporary. He said, no, no, this is real. And I said, well, do me a favor. Can you tell me what you remember about mm, Keith Memorial Methodist Church? He said, what, Dad? I said, well, tell me what you remember about Keith Memorial Methodist Church. He said, nothing. I don't know what you're talking about. I said, well, Keith Memorial is where you went to preschool when you were three years old. Do you remember anything about it? He said, no. I said, well, let me tell you what what I remember about it, can I? I remember taking you there every day. And for the first two weeks of your time in preschool, you cried for 15 minutes before I could leave. I would drop you off and, and then I would stand right outside the door and listen to you weep and wail and cry and scream and pitch a fit because the world had caved in on you, right? This was a strange new place. And I would stand right outside the door and I would listen to you for about 15 minutes until I, I noticed you began to calm down. I mean, you remembered, oh, that's the girl I played with on the playground yesterday. Oh, 
that's the boy who played blocks with me. Maybe this isn't going to be so bad. And you learned to adapt and you stopped weeping. And today, you don't even remember going to that school. And I tried to explain to him how frames work. That when you're three, you have a tiny frame and a tiny amount of experiences. So the experience fills the whole frame and that's how painful it was. It was the worst part of your life. You were in absolute agony. It was terrible. But now you don't even remember it because your frame is bigger. Your frame of reference, your frame of mind, it's bigger. And I'm telling you, I promise you, and I'm saying this to my fourth grade son at the time, your frame is bigger than you think. This will also pass. And we will be here with you. See, sometimes it takes rehearsing this story that the frame is bigger than we think. The whole story being lived out is more than these one experience after the other moments. It's more than just one painful experience, one traumatic experience. There's more to the frame. And we rehearse it, not simply looking back over where we've been, but we also rehearse by looking forward to where we're going. Sometimes what I like to try to do is, so I'm 49 years old, and, and during seasons when I'm stressed or just overwrought with anxiety or pressure or, or concern, I like to ask myself, what? What would my 89-year-old self say to me about these things? And I try to have a conversation with the 89-year-old version of me. What would he have to think and to say about these experiences I'm so worked up over and so stressed out about? And while I can't always guess what the 89-year-old version of me would say to my 49-year-old self, I know with absolute certainty What my 49-year-old self would say to my 19-year-old self, I would say the frame is bigger than you think. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, we hear these words, Set your minds on things that are above and not the things that are below. Now, when we hear that, typically we, we assume that means, well, just think about heaven and not about earth. Think about leaving this place. And I don't think that's what it means at all. In fact, nowhere did Jesus ever say, oh, just think about leaving this place and moving on to, to heaven. Jesus said, no, this place matters right here and right now matters. That's why God chose to become incarnate to take on flesh and blood and actually dwell here among us in the midst of storms and brokenness and pain. So if we rehearse this story that Christ came to enter into the storm, to walk through the pain of the human journey, then setting our minds on things above is not simply thinking about heaven. It's about elevating to a higher consciousness a bigger frame of reference to always remember that there is a way right here and right now in the midst of pain to live free and to live full. This is what Christ demonstrated for us. And when we do that, it empowers us to do something that that enables us to be reframed. And that thing is to re 
imagine. Imagination. Sometimes when we talk about imagination, we often think about it as, you know, somehow pretending or like fairy tales or daydreaming. We think about imagination as, you know, child's play. But nothing can be further from the truth. Truth is, there is no greater evidence than imagination that you and I are created in the image and likeness of God. Because we have the capacity, if we allow ourselves, to stand in the face of death itself and imagine life. Walter Brueggemann, the great Hebrew Bible scholar, says that imagination is the human capacity to host and embrace a world other than the one right in front of us. Think about that for just a moment. Imagination is the human capacity to host and embrace a world other than the one that is right in front of us. So General Creighton Abrams in World War II found he and, and his men surrounded in, in battle. And he gathered his officers together around him and he said, Good news, men. For the first time in this war, we have the opportunity now to attack our enemy in every direction. Right, Imagination is the capacity to host and embrace a world other than the one that is right in front of you. In 2 Corinthians, we hear these words. We, we set our minds not on things that are seen, but on things that are unseen. Because things that are seen are temporary, but things that are unseen are eternal. So I've been talking and thinking lately about things that are seen and things that are unseen and how that impacts the way we frame our lives. Do you know that hummingbirds and buzzards both fly over the same desert, but they look for so very different meals, right? The hummingbird goes in search of sweet nectar and finds it. The buzzard goes in search of the dead and, and will eat upon the carcasses of what it can find. See, the hummingbird can see the dead, but flies right by it unenticed because he's not looking for it. But the buzzard could fly right by the sweet nectar of a flower and not stop to eat because it's looking for death. You and I, we find whatever it is that we go searching for. It's true. So you know the saying, for every cloud there is a silver lining. Yeah. But have you ever met anybody for whom the saying is actually the opposite? For every silver lining, well, there's got to be a cloud. That's because you find whatever it is that you go searching for, which explains so much about the way many of us go through this life. Some of us go with so much pain in our tiny little frames, and that's all we think about, that we, we end up moving through life frustrated, discontent, anxious, overwrought with anxiety and worry, 
And, and we lash out in the relationships that we have with one another. We have rage and animosity, unresolved anger. So we just lash out at all the world around us. It's been said that if, if the only tool you have in your toolbox is a hammer, well, then you're going to see every challenge that comes your way as a nail. Yeah. You find whatever it is that you're searching for. Jesus said that the kingdom of God, this realm, this, this domain of living in this world in, in holy union with God, seeing the presence of the divine around the kingdom of God is, well, it's only seen by those who have the eyes to look for it. The problem is, it requires a reimagination, but you and I live in a world with a kind of bankrupt imagination. When you live with a bankrupt imagination, it means you have, you have failed to see a world other than the one right in front of you. And so we, we go through life in, in what Richard Rohr refers to as stinking thinking, where we only see two options to every problem. It's either black or white. It's either 100% right or 100% wrong, no room for gray. It's either us or them. You're either in or out. This kind of binary thinking or dualistic thinking is stinking thinking because in many ways it keeps us living in a bankrupt imagination. And if you can't reimagine your life, you can't reframe your life. So what we really need is to renew the mind. So the Apostle Paul talked a great deal about what it means to renew the mind. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may be able to discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do not be conformed to this world. What that means is to not be conformed to the patterns of thinking in this world that pit one group against another group, that insist that there are only two ways of seeing any one experience. Don't be conformed to this world of small frames around big lives, but instead be transformed, changed, transformed uh, by the renewing of your mind. It was thought a long time ago that the brain, the human brain, stopped growing by the time you, you reach adulthood. But through new breakthroughs in neuroplasticity, we, we've learned recently through brain imaging techniques and new technologies that the brain doesn't stop growing. It doesn't have to stop growing. That neurons can continue to expand, to enlarge, to change. And in so doing, it, it's like, well, if you get up in the morning and your pattern, your basic pattern is you get up and you have your coffee, maybe you take a walk, you read the paper, or maybe in the evening you watch Jeopardy, right? And then you move on into sleep or whatever it is you do. When you do a certain pattern 
over a period of time, your, le- your brain learns that pattern and adapts to that pattern. But as it turns out, if you p- take on a new practice, if you begin a new discipline, a new behavior, and you do it repeatedly and for long enough, the brain actually changes. The brain is actually literally physiologically renewed. And it's the same with your spiritual mind. And Paul knew this more than anyone. There was a period of time when Paul hated Christians because Christians in the beginning were those who who simply followed a different way, a different way of life from the the institutional religion of the day. They, They followed a different pattern of living. They followed a different ethic because of the one who they were following. And, and everything about their new lifestyle, Paul despised. He, in fact, made a job of persecuting, hunting them down, and bringing the movement to an end. But one day he was, he was confronted by the risen Christ on a road, and it left him blinded. And there's this wonderful story where he goes to heal in this man's house, and a, a, a known Christian comes and, and heals him of his blindness. And the text says something so fascinating. It says, something like scales fell from his eyes. And when he woke up and when he, when he looked around, he saw in brand new ways, not only with his eyesight, but with his heart. He began to see and think of human beings differently. He began to see the world differently. There was in many ways, uh, well, a neuroplasticity to his soul where he began to think new patterns of being alive. To renew the mind means to allow the Spirit to create new pathways of existing with one another and with God. And I can't think of a a more needed time than today. For our world, it could use a few people with just a few renewed minds. So what do you do? What do you do if you find yourself living with a frame that is way too small around your life? And Well, it begins with rehearsing the story. It begins with rehearsing the reality that that Christ is living a story in you, if you can see it, that is bigger than the frame you've put around your life. It's followed by, well, reimagining because of that story, the story of salvation, reimagining what it looks like for you to live even in the midst of the storm. And it involves, well, a renewal of the mind. And how do you do that? Well, it's an every morning discipline. And I say every morning, not just because I have a bias for the morning and I'm a morning person. I mean because every day there must be a daily reframing in your mind. And it's, it's a prayer that begins like this. God, I recognize that I will be prone today to focus only on the emergencies of my life. I hear the sirens right now, the sirens going off that that I need to be worried about this four o'clock meeting or this encounter that I have on Thursday and all week long, sirens in my head and I worry about it. But today I ask God that you would reframe my day so that I allow your holy story to be lived out in me. I rehearse that today and I yield to the possibility that you may help me reimagine who I am to be and how I am to love today. And, and in so doing, I, I welcome your reframing now and on into the age to come. Amen.